the Art of Leadership Network. The guy comes up to, to my wife and he says, hey, are you guys still going to plant the church? Because if you are, my wife and I prayed and God told us to donate for free the parking lot. For years, we would use those rocks as memorial stones. The God is faithful. Well, what is up, Church Plant family? This is Mike Kickerson with The Unfair Advantage. Man, love what God is doing in and through church planters. We are a podcast that's trying to help church planters go further, faster. My co-host, Andy Wood, is the lead pastor of Saddleback, but professional church planner extraordinaire is what he is. Uh, he loves, has a heart for church planters. I'm the lead pastor of Mission Church in Ventura, California, a church that we started and helped plant in 2011. Had the privilege of my life to be able to part, be a part of that. You are in for a treat this episode. We get to talk with... Uh, Derwin Gray from Transformation Church in North Carolina, multiple campuses, just an incredible conversation that I was privileged to have with Derwin Gray about church planting, about the beginnings of church planting, about the why of church planting, uh, and some of the challenges and encouragement that he would give to the next generation of church planters. A couple uh, professional tips here. I had some travel issues and some microphone issues, so I'm going to need some grace as you're listening to this. What he says is amazing. Um, so my audio sometimes is a little tough, so give me some grace on that. I know that's annoying. We will fix that. It won't happen again as best as I can help it. Uh, but I'm so excited for what is happening in this conversation and the challenges that he lays before us. So it's going to be a great conversation. Let's get right to it with Derwin Gray from Transformation Church. Let's go. Well, what is up, Church Plant family? Uh, unfair advantage. Man, we are in for a treat today. We have the good doctor. Derwin Gray is going to be hanging out with us. Uh, I'm a huge fan and I'm so excited for what we're going to walk through today. We've been talking about the the why of church planting. So Derwin's going to help us walk through that a little bit, but uh, I'm sure everyone knows you already, Derwin, but maybe kind of introduce yourself a little bit about your story, where you are, um, kind of go from there as much as you want. So let's go for it. I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much, man. It, it's uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. And I'm always uh, glad to be with church planners because church planting is not for the faint of heart. Um, church planting is kind of like the green berets of of pastoring. Yeah, and so uh, hope, hopefully there's uh, something that I can share that can be beneficial. But yeah, so I'm, I'm originally from San Antonio, Texas. Um, uh, mom was about 16 when she was pregnant with me, 17 when I was born. Dad was 19. Both of them had issues. Uh, grandparents primarily raised me. My granddad was a hard working man. Uh, wasn't as much emotionally available, but he he worked really hard. My grandmother's primarily my nurturer. Uh, really tough environment. You don't know how tough it is until you get out and Jesus opens your eyes and you're just appreciative of his grace. Uh, but in Texas, like football is a big deal. So I, I can't even remember a time that I didn't play football, think about foot, football. So in God's sovereignty, football was a sport that I loved. It was a sport I was good at, but it was also a vehicle to get me to college, to get me out of where I was. And so we were not a church going family. And so football functioned as a savior. It gave me conditional love. It gave me identity, gave me significance, and it gave me mission. So anyway, I uh, took football scholarship to BYU. So I'm a non-believer black kid at a super white Mormon school. So freshman year, big adjustment. Easy, easy mesh there. That's super simple. E yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, but football was the unifying thing, right? And so I uh, met this girl on the track team my freshman year, and we've been together ever since. That was 33 years ago, uh, actually 34 years ago, and we and next month will be um, – 31 years of marriage. So anyway, had a great, had a, had a great career there, got drafted to the NFL. And then that's kind of when like the dream turned into a nightmare. Rookie year was challenging. Second year was challenging. Third year I was a team captain. But at that point I began to see some things in my life. Like I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. I was fearful of what would I do after the NFL? Cause NFL stands for not for long. Couldn't forgive my dad. Knew I needed forgiveness, but I had a teammate named Steve Grant. His nickname was the Naked Preacher. And every day after practice, he would uh, take a shower, wrap a towel around his waist, and ask teammates, do you know Jesus? And one day he asked me that. And I began a five-year relationship. And on August 2nd, 1997, is, uh, is when I prayed to receive Christ. And I fell in love with Christ. My whole life had been about your performance, how good you were, what could you do? And Jesus was the first person who said, I've seen your performance. It doesn't measure up, but I want you anyway. And I love you anyway. And so um, that was in 97. That was my fifth year with the Colts. Signed as a free agent in 1998 with the Carolina Panthers, came down here to Charlotte, played in three games, hurt my knee, spent the rest of the year on injured reserve, and so all I could do was rehab my knee and read the Bible. And so as I read the Bible and rehab my knee, God was rehabbing my soul, transforming my mind. And uh, my wife and I just decided, man, I, I think we're done with the NFL. Like, what are we going to do next? And we wasn't for sure, but I got invited to go speak at a youth event in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, I wasn't going to go because I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. So I'm like, you know, Lord, why would you want me to go? And I just sense God said, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk, but you have to go. So I went, my wife went, our daughter at the time that was probably three. And I had note cards falling out my pocket. And I just shared what my life was like before Christ, how I met Christ and what Christ was doing now. And a bunch of kids got saved and youth pastor brought me in and said, get ready. God's going to start using you. And then the phone just start ringing off the hook and we're, I would travel and speak. My wife would organize it. But then in 2005, that's when we sensed God calling us to plant a church, but not any kind of church. Um, as we looked at the New Testament, we saw that the New Testament church was overflowing with the gospel. It was overflowing with Jesus. It was overflowing with racial reconciliation. It was a multi-ethnic church on mission. And so we decided that, you know, Lord, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna plant Transformation Church and we're gonna be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational mission-shaped community. And uh, we launched February 7, 2010, and God has been incredibly faithful to us, faithful through us. Man, that's-, that's So, yeah. That's unbelievable. And I know so much of that story. And so I'm an Oklahoma kid, so I, I won't hold the Texas against you. And my dad was a college football player. So football was religion where we grew up. So my dad was a quarterback for TU and Steve Largent was his receiver back in the day. So way back in the day. So yeah, that's, I, I grew up football. Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. good receiver to throw to. 
He's all right. He's all right. But they primarily ran the ball. So I don't know what my dad was thinking. So no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And it's an honor. Tell me about like, uh, tell me about, uh, your family. Tell me, kind of give us the update on that. Like what's the, what are you at in in the life? Yeah. So, uh, my wife, uh, is the co-founder of Transformation Church. She oversees our spiritual formation and discipleship of the staff, as well as the church. She's on her executive team. She's working on her master's at Wheaton. She's in her hermeneutics class right now that is uh, incredibly challenging. She goes, oh, it's so hard. She has like a 98 in it. <laughs> um, so she's, she's doing that. Our daughter Presley is a college graduate and she's 26 years old. She's actually recovering um, from hip surgery, um, oh, but she's you. looking to get her uh, master's. And our son, Jeremiah, is 22, and he'll graduate from the University of Montana uh, next month, actually, in a degree with uh, philosophy. And he wants to go to law school and be a corporate lawyer. That's awesome, man. That's a good season. That's, that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, tell me. So you moved down to uh, Charlotte. And then tell me why. I mean, I feel, I feel like I know, but why Charlotte? Why there? Why that city? As, as planters are kind of picking a spot, we've been kind of walking through how yeah. people are in that spot and what God calls them to. So how do you do that for you? Yeah, you know, so I'm probably not the best guy to ask about that because we, we, we were unchurched. Like, we didn't know about church planting. We didn't know about demographic studies. We didn't even know what calling was. Uh, we just knew, okay, we're in Carolina. We really have no family here and we're supposed to stay. That's all we knew. Yeah, and man. so it was from, it was from like 99 to like 2005, 2006, where God began to put it on our heart to plant a church. And so I believe that number one, planting a church doesn't start with the people you want to reach. It starts with the God who reached you. So, so like, so like that's, so like that's the first place is a church planner's heart is saturated by an overwhelming desire for other people to know Jesus. So, um, something has happened along the way, Mike, where we have people who want to plan a church because they like preaching to people. They enjoy preaching more than they enjoy the people or Jesus. And the more gifted you are, the bigger your burnout and blow up and destruction of people's lives are going to be. So like, I don't, I don't love preaching. I love Jesus and preaching is a means by which to help other people love him. So therefore I preach. Whereas I think there's a lot of us as pastors and church planners, if we don't preach, we feel like, we're void. That's idolatry. And so, um, man, I wanted people to know and love Jesus. I wanted what I saw in the New Testament, people formed to the image of Christ, people on mission with Christ, the justice of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the presence of Christ pushing back the darkness. And so as we lived here in Charlotte, we, we just we just fell in love. But what's interesting though is Charlotte is on the border of South Carolina. And so our church plant is actually in a community called Indian land, South Carolina. And we got to Indian land, not because we did a demographic study. We did research. 
we got there because our little launch team had nowhere to go. Right. And a gentleman on the launch team said, Hey, uh, I found a warehouse in Indian land. I'm like, what is Indian land? Where is it? And he goes, pastors five miles from where you live. So we end up going to Indian land, South Carolina. We, we, we found an old warehouse and it was so befitting uh pastor because it had AstroTurf in it. It, it was a, baseball training facility. So there's AstroTurf in it. So we're like, we're going to plant here in Indian land. It's the only thing we can afford. This is where we're going to be. And people are like, what are you doing? That makes no sense. Well, lo and behold, in Indian land, South Carolina, right down the road, the elementary next to our church had kids from 32 different countries there. And so people from all over America and the world have been coming to Charlotte and they're like, why should we pay the taxes in North Carolina? Let's just go three miles down the road in South Carolina. And so we found ourselves in this confluence of old school South Carolina folks and then people from everywhere else. And so um, God and his sovereignty knew where we were supposed to be. And so why Charlotte? There was no other option. Like we didn't even know. And, yep. and, and so that's, that's kind of our story. And I think it's very befitting that in the state of South Carolina, where the first shots of the Civil War were fired, uh, one of, if not the most influential gospel centered multi ethnic churches in America was started. Yeah. And I just think that's gospel poetic justice. I love it. I love that. Man, I doubt I didn't know all that story either. So can you walk me back? Just walk me through the early days. You know, we've got planters that are pre-planting and all the way up to into like yeah. three to five years that we're trying to help out a little bit. So remember, mm-hmm. like, uh, we're old now. So we're old church yeah. planters, but we're still church planters. Do you remember what it was yeah. like back in those days and some of the things you remember the most? I do. I do. Um, the first thing I remember is that my life was an emotional roller coaster, not by the day, but by the hour. So one, so one hour, it was, man, this is going to be the greatest church plant since Acts chapter two. The next hour, it was, I'm going to ruin this. I'm, I suck. I, I, this can't happen. And so what I want to say is this, whatever God calls you to, he's going to see you through. Yeah. Wherever there's a vision, he is the provision to accomplish it. So that's, that's really, really important. And then make sure that in these early seasons of the emotional ups and downs that you are abiding in Christ. The most important thing you can give this new church plant is not your preaching gift, not your leadership gift, but your holiness. And holiness is the fruit of the spirit, that you are a person who was empowered by the spirit because of the gospel to consistently operate in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that you're embodying the gospel. Because a lot of times church planters are, you know, alphas and we'd like to get stuff done and be careful because there's enough ingenuity and resources that we can get stuff done. But getting stuff done doesn't necessarily mean it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So you want to be, yeah. So like, so like you want to be 
uh, 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 soaked in Christ. You want to re- reflect the character of, of Christ and also don't desire things that are going to prevent you from learning how to trust Jesus more. Let's let me just walk through a couple of things. I think when you go back through, I think there's this way that we, we thirst for progress so much as leaders, as planters, that we, we, we think the fruit of our lives is the results that we get. And we miss the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us. And all we really have to offer is a surrendered life and humility to what Jesus wants to do in and through us. That's what we, that's our best asset to the kingdom. Yes. And we, we get our gifts that he's given us versus the who that we're created. So yes. I've watched hey. the time and take a pastor out. Yeah, man. Um, being a godly man is so underrated in today's, in today's church planning pastoring world. It's like, oh, they're gifted and oh, they're talented in there. But man, are they godly? Do their wives even like them? <laughs> you know? And so, um, does anyone like, <laughs> does anybody like, does, does anybody know you or do you just preach and, and disappear and you got a fan club instead of a congregation that you shepherd? Like, do you actually smell like sheep or, you know, anyway. So, and then this other, this other thing too, is that there's going to come moments where you're going to go, man, there's no way this is going to happen. And, and God will provide. But you got to walk into the Jordan River, so to speak, up to your nose. Uh, let me give you two illustrations. Uh, I, I, uh, my team and I were at a leadership event, and those leading the cohort said, "Okay, if you had all the money you needed to plant your church, what would you do differently?" And so, so everybody was going and they were talking about, you know, I mean, it was basically a Disney world for Jesus, you know, and I said, I don't want to play. And they said, well, why don't you want to play? And I said, well, if I had everything I needed financially to plant transformation church, I wouldn't know Jesus the way I know him now. I wouldn't see his faithfulness the way I see his faithfulness now. So I'm not going to play the game. So they said, all right, fine. So everybody kept going and then I just erupted in a holy righteousness and just said, why is it that I don't hear anything about um, pastoral care, discipleship, justice, clothing the naked, feeding the, the, the poor? All I hear is like bigger stages, more TV, cool. I'm like, you can't compete with Kanye West. You're going to lose every time. We have something the world does not have, the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit to be a loving community. And so that's one thing. The other, the, the other thing is this, is um, in the early days, we needed to clear out a field to make it a parking lot. And it was going to cost about 30 grand. And at that point, my wife and I had cleared out a lot of mutual funds um, like we had given a lot because if we wanted our church to bleed generosity, we had to hemorrhage generosity. So we wanted to lead the way in faith and giving. So, uh, I mean, like we were, we were tapped. So she ended up having a dream. And in the dream, the person who came out to gave us an estimate of how much the parking lot would cost said, Hey, um, my wife and I have prayed and we believe God wants us to give you guys the parking lot for free. 
So a couple of weeks go by and we're at a flag football game that my son was on and the owners of that paving company, their son was on as well. And by the way, uh, my little flag team was 35-0-1 the few years that we coached. Uh, Is that my good? son, Is that yes, good? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. The only re- reason we we tied, Mike, is because I let this one kid play who didn't want to play, and then I had to have our son like bell us out on a comeback to tie. I'm still angry. That kid's like a grown man now. If I ever see him again, I'm gonna be like, "Have you changed?" So you wanna anyway, play? you want to play now? Like, do you want to play now? <laughs> we'll go find all those kids and we'll play. Um, so 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 we're walking off the field. And the guy comes up to, to my wife and he says, hey, are you guys still going to plant the church? Because if you are, my wife and I prayed and God told us to donate for free the parking lot. Oh my and so we just we just like wept and cried. And so for years, when we were in our old location where the warehouse was, we would use those rocks as memorial stones. That God is faithful. He doesn't show up when we want him to show up. He dwells in eternity and he shows up when he wants to show up. The question is, are we praising and are we faithful in response to his grace when we don't see him? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, not seen. It is impossible to please God without faith. You know, I want to encourage all the church planners, read Hebrews 11 and not just asking God to do something for you, but for him to conform Christ in you as That's well. Good. That's so good. So, so every church planter I know wants the stories that you've just told. They really do. We all want those stories that have got to do immeasurably more for him to show up. We want those miracle stories. But not, I, I think the first part of those miracle stories is the stuff you said on the front side. It's like you got to hemorrhage for it. you got to bleed for it. you want, you got to have the process that God needs to take us on for that payoff at the end of that. Like that doesn't come for free. And all of us no. like to sell it at the end, but the process is where it's at. And that's how God provides and grows our faith in that journey too. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, um, you cannot have a testimony without a test. And so um, also another thing with church planners, your capacity to get people to invest in the kingdom is a sign of your leadership. Um, I used to be afraid when we first began to plant, I was afraid to ask people to give until um, I read a book and the book said, when you are afraid to give people the opportunity to give, you are keeping a blessing from them. And so, at, you know, cast big vision Ask people to invest big, right? Uh, people will invest in cryptocurrency. They'll invest in all this kind of stuff. But the greatest investment you can make is in the kingdom because it gives eternal dividends. And so a part of being a leader, a church planner, is the capacity to cast vision. Vision casting is this. If God shows up, here's what the preferred future looks like. And that preferred future is so epic people run into the future and bring it to the present. And so people give towards vision that is compelling. That's Christ exalting, clear and compelling. 
man, you're stepping all over my toes right now, Derwin. That's not you're not. I'm supposed to be your friend, so you're you're all you're speak, you're all up in my chili right now because I have was weak at that at the beginning as a planter. And it's been a growth edge for me and something I've tried to get, I had to grow in as being the lead pastor. And I, I believe at planters, he's a thousand percent right. And those of you that feel insecure, don't let that withhold you from the position and the, and the challenge that God has given you to the givers in the, that he's surrounding you with, because it is, it is a spiritual gift that you need to catalyze and activate. Absolutely. And I'm on the journey of that as well. So, yeah, you, you know, and let me park here for a, a minute. One, one of the things that we do at Transformation Church is that we view giving and financial generosity as a part of people's discipleship. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And so we, you know, we don't, we don't guilt people to give, you know, like, hey, if you don't give, you're robbing God, you know. Um, this is um, where there is grace, giving will follow. And so the bigger Jesus's grace is, the more generous people become. We don't have to guilt them. And so last year, we had the largest giving that we've ever had by almost a million dollars. And, you know, we don't, we don't teach tithing. We teach generosity. And for the old school, Christians, I like to joke and go, some of you guys are like, yeah, 10%. I'm like, well, if the law requires 10%, how much more should grace move us to give? 10% is the training wheels. We should be looking at ways to strategically form our lives to give more. Why? Because we give because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians nine, eight, right? And, uh, yeah, so so I just I just want to encourage the church planners walk in faith. Um, be accused of asking God to do too much, not too little. Yes, yes. I want to transition a little bit because I want to leave time at the end for you to give some encouragement and some challenge to our church, which you have already laid it down in a good ways. But anything that's on your heart about the next generation church planners, but. I think it would be foolish to to go any further and not talk about um, what I know has been the heart of Transformation Church also coming out and bleeding out in a book that you've written. Um, so how to heal, I'd love to talk about how to heal your, our racial divide and give me yeah. the, the, the genesis behind it for you um, and what you and maybe the what you'd hope to see a person or a pastor or a church, what your dream would be that would take hold in people's hearts for it. Yeah, so. My dream is the dream of the King of Kings, that every nation, tribe, and tongue would adore Jesus and love each other as brothers and sisters. Because when they do, when we do, John 17, 21 says, our unity uh, lets the world know that the Father sent the Son. And John 13, 35, that when we love each other, the world will know we're our disciples. So that's that's that's, that's the, the dream. Number two is... I wrote this book as a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I'm about to say here next is going to be a little strong. I don't have a lot of time. You love me. I love you. We all love you. So, 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 so the idea that somebody could believe in Jesus, but not fight racism and injustice, which is loving your neighbors. You love yourself is spiritual adultery and it's demonic. Yep. 
And that's why, that's why you could have two revivals in the United States of America and slavery outlasted both of them. That's why you could have entire denominations made in 1845 to keep slavery in the South, yet we preach the gospel. According to the Apostle Paul, Galatians 3.8 says this, for the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham and this, all the nations would be blessed. So Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a family. Galatians 3.16, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. So Jesus not only forgives our sins, but he creates a family with different colored skins and sanctification is learning to love each other across the demonic man-made barriers that separate. Do not let that which Jesus bled to unite be divided. And we are so divided by political idolatry, prejudice, um, all types of stuff. Uh, I, I got this thing on Facebook the other day where I was sharing my book and a white guy goes, uh, I don't see racism in America. And I just wrote back and said, Man, praise God. I hope all the other sins just magically disappear as well. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so, um, I wrote this book thirdly as a resource and a map for the church. It's a resource that you're going to draw on the sources of Christ, the love of Christ, but it's also a map. So I have a doctorate in the New Testament in context. So I take my pastoral theologian eyes give it to the text. I take my pastoral experience and make it applicable. So it's a roadmap for the church. Um, we are bleeding and hemorrhaging Gen Z. Gen Z looks at us and goes, I don't want your stupid politics. I don't want your racial division. All of my friends are different ethnicities and I'm not going to bring them I'm not going to be ethnically unified at public school, but divided when I go to church. And so this is not just for us. This is for the next generation. Also, immigrants coming to America overwhelmingly are evangelical. They are coming to bring fire back to our faith. We see that in Europe. I was just in Europe. They're studying my book in Norway, because they know the future of the Norwegian church is African, it's Asian, it's South American. And those people are going and reaching the Norwegians because the Norwegian church is dead. And the same thing is happening in the United States of, of America. And so it's important for us to, this isn't something new, it's ancient and true. And what I've tried to do is to provide a, a resource and a map uh, in a clear, compelling, Christ-exalting way. Yeah, and it, it is so good. I've heard you teach a lot um, just from distance on it and walking through it. It's phenomenal. I can't recommend the resource enough. So we'll put a link on it on this, but I, I hope that every pastor reads it. I hope every church planner reads it. I hope every church member reads it. Every Christian reads it. I think it'd be helpful for all of us. And one of the things that's going to be a telltale sign for the next generation of leaders and for the generations that come and follow us. So thanks for Amen. your courage and uh, your wisdom and, and your humility that you bring to it at the same time. it's So I really appreciate you in the conversation that leading the way of painting the map out of how we need to be and move forward. So 
I also want to learn how to dance from you. So I, like, give me the breakdown of the dance, <laughs> dance that you do all the time. Just give me why that is. So. <laughs> So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll get on Instagram and I'll do some Instagram reels where I dance. So what a lot of people don't know is in middle school, <clears throat> I was on like a breakdance team and we would go to the mall and breakdance for money. Because, you know, back then your parents didn't like you want to go to the mall. Good luck. Have a good day. So we'd go yeah. to the mall, dance, earn a few bucks and eat Big Mac and fries and a Coke. And it was a great day. So I like to have fun. Um, I like to mess around and dance. And some of the other things that I do is I'm trying to teach my staff how to run routes and how to cover. So we have a large lobby. And so uh, on Instagram, uh, I'll show our staff running routes. But my wife was like, look, if you get somebody hurt, we are so going to get sued. So I have to make sure I pick the right people. She's HR too. She says over everything. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah. All right. I don't want to take too much of your time. You've been super generous of it, but I would love to know, like if you were just maybe a uh, one, one or two challenges or concerns that you'd want a church planner to be aware of, which you've already mentioned a couple, but is there anything that's high level that you maybe have missed that you yeah. want to say, and then any encouragement that you'd have for the next generation of church planners that are, that are in it that you'd just want to want to leave us with. Yeah. Uh, first is this, um, do not seek to be famous. Seek to be faithful. Just live a quiet, faithful life. Uh, number two, uh, we need our pulpits to become strong again. And I'm not talking about style. Style does not ma matter to me. I'm talking about content. What are you preaching? And if I can summarize it, is Jesus the hero of your sermon? Do people leave the sermon thinking more about him and what he's accomplished? Because the gospel justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. And so we have a lot of glorified self-help coach messages. And um, unfortunately, Americans like that stuff. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go go try hard now. Like, man, may people leave our services just weeping at the thought of how lavish God's graces. Love it. Love it. So I got one more question, unless, unless you, you can have the floor. So whatever you'd want to say, wherever you want to go, you have the time. We're, we're in. Uh, just anything like exciting in your mind I, uh, that's in the future for Transformation Church that like you'd be like, hey, I'm most excited about this. Yes. Near future or far future. So anything coming up? Yeah, man, we uh, we have just exploded in growth um, a lot online. And so we need campuses. And so we're praying that the Lord would just, that there are churches that go, hey, you know what? Uh, we want to leave a legacy. Here's, here's the keys. Like we, we literally right now probably could launch three campuses at the same time. And, wow. but we need to do one and we need to, we need to do it well. And, um, we don't want to just throw stuff up, right? Like we want, we want something to multiply, but that, but that, but that time is now. And so I'm excited about how God is going to multiply us. And what I see over the next 15 to 20 years is we're going to continue to train pastors through our multi-ethnic church round table, which we do every spring. But I see us in the next 10 to 15 years with 
seven to eight, maybe nine locations continuing to plant. Um, I see us growing exponentially, not just in people, but in debt. Why? One purpose and one purpose only, so that they would know him and make him known. Man, I'm in for that. And I feel like we just became best friends. So I, I love that vision, man. And I would, I'm cheering you on. We're for you. And thanks for even... Uh, I don't know if every time guys that have your uh, um, platform and ability and like what you have in your daily schedule, always take the time to look back and help the next generation. They don't always do that. So thank you for being somebody in the planting world and also looking back to help the next generation of planters. It means a lot. And keep going, dude. There's a lot of people that are cheering you on and being inspired by you all across the world. So thank you. Seriously. Same, same. And you got my email and number, man. So, uh, you know, I, I like you as well. Um, you know, you're from Oklahoma. I've, I've a lot of friends on OU's coaching staff. And uh, the way I like to say it is this, the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State should be called the University of North Texas because there's so many Texas boys on both teams. We just, we just, we just love sharing our wealth in Texas. <laughs> We're in the SEC too, so here we go. We need it. All right, man. Man, what a great conversation with Derwin. I feel like we could talk forever. Uh, so much good stuff from that. I've already listened to that two times myself going back through it. Really good challenges, really good content. Really grateful for his life and ministry and what God has done in and through him. Again, if you're a church planner, we would love to help in any way that we can help you go further, faster. So man, take that to heart. If you need any next steps, there's some cohorts. Do not do this alone. Ascentleader.org can help you with that. If there's any feedback that you have or guests that, guests that you'd like to hear from, man, I'd love to hear that. So you can email me, mike.hickerson at missionventura.com. We'll drop all that in the show notes. Grateful for your grace. Looking forward to this next journey together. I love you, church planners and people that love church planners. Let's do this better. Let's go to get about it and see what God would want to do. And go back and listen to that episode four times and write down all the stuff. And you're going to need some of that stuff later in the church plan journey. So, so helpful. Much love. Peace. Peace.